Alrighty, we're continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18 today. If you uh, haven't heard all the sermons, you can go on Facebook, find Desert Hills Community Church of Nazarene in Gooding, and uh, you can find the sermons there, and, and uh, click on them, and, and, and clicking on that link will take you to an audio recording of each of the sermons. So you're welcome to start at the beginning if you'd like and hear all of them if you haven't so far. Today's sermon is entitled The Secret Life. And I want to begin by reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, the words of Jesus Christ to us. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. So, in this passage, Jesus says in Matthew, chapter 6, verse 1, Be careful not to... To practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I don't know about you, but this passage kind of hits home for me. Um, it exposes a struggle that I've had in my own life, and I suspect maybe a struggle for others as well. The need to perform, to be seen, to be recognized, the desire for approval from others. Jesus is forcing us to answer the question, who is the primary audience in your life? And what 
It's the reward you want from them. So, beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to an almost exclusively Jewish audience. And in that day, in that area, there were social benefits to appearing a certain way. The way they would earn the acceptance of others to be well thought of and respected was to be seen as religious. For the Jewish people, religion was at the very center of their culture and identity. If you wanted to be respected, you had to be religious. So, every single person in Jesus' audience, when he first spoke these words, would have felt the pressure not only to be pious in their religious commitments, but to appear pious, to be seen as being faithful. So, Jesus gave three practices where people would often use religion basically to show off. To, and he phrased it to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. The first of these three practices is giving. Back in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. So when you give to the needy. So let's just stop right there. So when you give. There's this assumption by Jesus that you give. Everybody who is a person of faith is to give. It's assumed by Jesus. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't defend it. He just states it as an obvious fact for the people of faith. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the sanctuaries and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus, he gives a picture of someone leading a parade as they walk to the temple to give their offering, sounding a trumpet, drawing attention to themselves, making it a public event. Now, we don't have evidence that anyone actually ever did this, but scholars do note that the offering plate in the temple was often normally made, was a metal bin, you know, so you put your coin, they didn't have bills, you know, dollar bills, you put your coins in there, boy, it would clink on the side of the metal bin as it was, you know, landing on the side and rolling down towards the bottom. And people would drop their coins in the bin, and there would be this loud clanging, and there are, there are stories from history of people who would throw it in there with force, so it would clang louder. Or they would drop it from from higher above, and instead of just laying it in the offering bin, they would drop it from above so it had farther to fall. And gravity could do its work, you know, and, and it could land with more force and make a bigger noise. So basically, taking pride in their offering. And... We don't often think about this, but this is why it would have been humiliating for that widow that Jesus mentions in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21. This poor widow had two little copper coins, the least expensive coins in circulation. She only has two little copper coins to drop in the offering. Clink, clink. You know, when all these people are, are making so much more noise with their offerings. But you know what? Jesus commends her. And he says of her, she 
out of her poverty gave. And she gets the highest praise. Jesus was sitting there that day watching people go through this show to drop their offering in the, in the offering bin. And out of all of them, he praises this humble, poor widow who drops in two little copper coins. And he says of her, she, out of her poverty, gave. The next practice of righteousness Jesus mentions is praying. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, and again, notice the assumption, Jesus assumes that people of faith spend time in prayer. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't expound upon that concept. It's his understanding that people of faith pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And I want to stop just for a second and say your father knows what you need before you ask him, but Jesus still assumes that people of faith pray. We, we need to say it so that on our end of the prayer connection, our hearts can be open to what God wants to do. So we still need to pray, and you can pray with confidence because Jesus died for you, God loves you, and God knows what you need before you ask him, and he's ready to bless you when you ask him to come into your life. So, pray. Do our prayers overflow from a relationship with God? Or are they for the crowd? Are they fancy words or empty phrases? Are we? I, I love this saying I came across. Um, are we praying horizontally or are we praying vertically? Good question. This is what Jesus is calling out here. Those who stand on the street corner and pray impressive prayers for show. I've noticed over the years of attending church and small groups and Sunday school classes, um, there are usually a few people in every group who are glad to begin praying out loud. They, they speak well, they refer to Bible verses as they pray, and it sounds good, and it is good. And, and they're, they're gifted in that way. And, and then in that same group, there's usually a person or two who it's obvious they did not want to pray out loud in a group. Uh, maybe they don't. They think they don't have the big religious vocabulary, or they feel insecure being around others who are quoting Bible verses while they pray. Or um, so when they pray, most of the time they pray silently. But I also think it's so beautiful when they do get the courage to speak up. It's usually a simple prayer. In short, something like, God, send your spirit, or God, save my child. Um, and I do not doubt that God hears all these prayers. So if you are one of the reluctant public prayers, I want you to know that God receives your prayers. I want you to know that. And he answers your prayers. When God hears me or anyone else, showing off, trying to impress or sound smart and pious, he says, 
to us, the attention that you just received is your reward. And Jesus mentions a third practice of righteousness, fasting. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their rewards in full. But when you fast, and again, notice the assumption, Jesus assumes that people of faith fast. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't defend it. It's just an assumption of the way it is when you're a person of faith. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So people back then, they, they would wear like their old tattered clothes, and, and they wouldn't take care of their hair. And some of them even went so far as to apply makeup so it made them look worse. They really wanted people to know that they were really sacrificing and going through this hard thing, and they wanted to be seen in public as someone who was in the act of fasting right now. Look how religious they are. So that's what Jesus is referring to. Fasting is a spiritual practice of denying yourself of food or of something else as a way to focus on God and on your prayer life. It's supposed to be a time of deepening your connection with God. In Jesus' day, many people would look sad and disheveled while they fasted. But Jesus says here, when you fast, clean yourself up, comb your hair. Don't advertise your private spirituality. Let it be between you and God. So, Jesus takes three common religious practices of his day and of our day and says, some of you are actually doing the right things, but for the wrong motives. Jesus has a word for this. This is, this is a powerful word in our day and age. Still, the word Jesus has for this is hypocrite. Now, in Jesus' day, a hypocrite was the name for one who was a stage actor. They had amphitheaters built, and, and uh, the actors would act on stage, and the amphitheaters were built to echo the sound of. They didn't have microphones and and amplification systems, so the architecture of the location provided that. And they would they would wear a mask. So these actors had a mask on, and the mask would reflect the quality of the character of the role they were playing, happy or sad or evil or good. And they would wear this mask while they acted on stage. So these stage actors, these hypocrites, were wearing a mask, someone playing a role. Um, in our day, for instance, an actor can play the role of a loving father on television, can receive awards and applause for the role he plays, but that doesn't necessarily make him a good father, or even a father at all in real life. You know, that's actors in our day and age. Jesus says, those who pray to be seen, those who, who give as a show, they're actors. They're performing for the applause of people, not the delight of God. Jesus is not against public prayer. Um, one of us, me or, or somebody else, one of us prays publicly every worship service. Jesus isn't against that. He's not against offering plates in church. Jesus is not against fasting. Um, what's our motivation? 
the great African theologian St. Augustine said this, It is not the being seen of men that is wrong, but doing things for the purpose of being seen of men. The problem with the hypocrite is his motivation. He does not want to be holy. He only wants to seem to be holy. He is more concerned with his reputation for righteousness than about actually becoming righteous. The approbation of men matters more to him than the approval of God. Jesus' warning in the Sermon on the Mount is as relevant today as it ever has been. We are all attempted to appear one way on the outside when our, our hearts or private lives are not in line with our public actions. This just may be one of the greatest struggles in many of our lives. In this age of social media profiles, we feel a pressure to appear like we have it all together, to be smart, confident, moral, and righteous. We want others to like us to think highly of us. But the truth is, very often our public spirituality is miles ahead of our private spirituality. And Jesus says this to us, Beware, you're getting your reward. Matthew Henry was a 17th and 18th century Bible teacher. The very first commentary set that I ever had was given to me by a brother in the Lord that I administered to, and it was the Matthew Henry Commentary. And he says this, Those that boast most of the religion may be suspected of partiality and hypocrisy in it. So, if you struggle in this area, you're not alone. If I struggle in this area, I'm not alone. What we all need to remember is this, the watching world can see through our religious hypocrisy. And not only does it break the heart of God, but it shapes the way our neighbors see Jesus. A contemporary theologian, Brendan Manning, said the greatest single cause of unbelief in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And hypocrisy is not only a religious problem or just a problem with the church. We have it in our culture as well. I wonder sometimes how much money would be donated to universities if plaques and buildings weren't named after the donors. Or at the checkout counter when the clerk asks, would you like to donate a dollar to XYZ Charity? In Jesus' day, um, they were tempted to be religious for show. In our culture, I think maybe politics has become our religion. We have to align with the correct people, the right politicians, the right cause. We have to share the correct articles on social media. We, we call this today virtue signaling. Many people today would rather post and posture about how compassionate or concerned they are than actually are willing to be that way in real life. Sharing a hashtag about the latest cause is not the same thing as fighting for the latest cause. To state it in contemporary terms, and you're welcome to laugh because I don't use this phrase, um, beware of practicing being woke in order to be seen by others. Some of us overwork trying to impress the right people. And some of us 
need for people to rely on us, so we serve everybody. You give, you give, and then you get upset when they don't properly acknowledge how much you sacrifice for them. So we all have these internal drivers that motivate us to crave the approval of others, and it shapes how we live. So the question is, what reward are you seeking? What reward are you seeking? Jesus perfect, perfectly frames this part of the sermon. If you show off and impress people, there's your reward. You can receive the applause of people. You can be respected. You can be popular. That's not a terrible thing. In fact, we love those things. The applause of people is a good thing. We love it. But is there something greater even than that? Jesus says this twice. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we all probably recall this verse, Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now you're talking, God. Give me the desires of my heart. Give me that. Yes, we remember that verse. We love that verse. But what are the desires of your heart? Jesus is inviting us in this passage today to focus on that. Is it more approval from others? Is it success or accomplishment or being needed or being creative and original? Is that what we really want? Now, those are good desires, but are they the desires of your heart? I, I think in this passage, this is what Jesus is after. At the beginning of the sermon, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We can all agree that hypocrisy is born out of impure motives. When hypocrisy bleeds into spiritual practices, it blinds us. And practices that were designed to draw us close to God, when used as a tool to oppress others, actually do the opposite. But Scripture promises, and, and if I have a favorite verse in the Bible, this is my favorite verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the promise of Scripture. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I remember as a young Christian, uh, spending time alone reading through the Bible. And, and nobody told me to do this, but and I didn't even know probably at the time that it was the Sermon on the Mount. But I was just captivated by Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 for a while. And I, and I read through it for like four months straight and, and uh, I, you know looking back now I understand that the Holy Spirit was guiding me and I and God wanted me to camp in that passage and so I just camped there Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 and reading it over and over again this verse just struck me as short enough and simple enough that I could memorize it not only memorize words, but understand what it was saying, and comprehensive enough to cover everything. And from early in my walk of faith in Christ uh, till today, it just blesses my heart. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There's the order of life. There's the focus. There's your audience. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek Jesus. Seek to be in his kingdom by faith. 
and seek his righteousness to be imparted to you and all these things, all this other stuff, all of it that God wants you to have, which is better than what you think you want, all these things will be given to you as well. I love that. So what is the reward you're after? What's the reward you're after? You can gain applause. That's okay. But you can pursue something so much greater than that. All that stuff sounds good and right. But how do we seek God in this way? Well, Jesus models it for us. The model of Jesus is a life of communion with God. If you study Jesus' life closely, you'll find that he was totally unconcerned with what others thought of him. He lived for 30 years before he started his public ministry in complete obscurity. The Son of God, God the Son, on earth in human flesh, and he lives 30 years in complete obscurity before he reveals himself to us. He never seemed to pay attention to how he was perceived by others. Jesus didn't conduct opinion polls. Uh, Jesus was never found pursuing special interest groups. Jesus healed people, and then he told them not to tell anybody. When he became too popular in a town, he would leave and go somewhere else. And as a result, he was free. He was never anxious. He was never rushed. He was never insecure. How did Jesus live like this? Regular times of prayer and fasting and solitude with God. Time spent with his heavenly Father. This is how Jesus could live unconcerned with what others thought. He lived his life in reference to the Father, not to the world. It was a vertical relationship that he pursued above all else, not a horizontal relationship. Ultimately, his only audience was his father. So I want to end with telling you about audience of one. Once every four years, youth from Nazarene churches gather for a continent-wide week of worship, and teaching, and service, and fellowship. It's called Nazarene Youth Congress, or NYC. And both my children, when, when they were high school age, uh, and, and during their four years of high school, NYC rolled around, both of them got to go. And, and both of my kids were permanently changed by what they experienced. It was a very impactful week in their life that continues to resonate in their lives to this day. Uh, the year my son went, the theme was audience of one. And, and, and they instilled in those youth throughout that week that we live for God. By faith in Jesus Christ, we live for the Father in heaven and Him alone. And you can, you can chase your tail and, and exhaust your resources trying to get other people to like you or to keep liking you, or to be popular, famous, or whatever, accepted. Or you can realize that you have an audience of one and live this life serving him. And if he's pleased, it's okay. Lucy and I have spent some years pastoring churches in crisis. 
in every church in crisis, there is a time when somebody gets unhappy and somebody starts yakking about the pastor and or his family and um, never comes to me or to us, but will certainly go somewhere else and talk. And you got to live through that, you know? And, and there are people that hear that and believe that to be the fact and never come and talk to me, never come and talk to my family about the things they heard who have to be true because so-and-so said it. And so uh, pastoring in those kind of situations, you better know. You better know who you're serving. And you better know where the approval that you need to see lies. Um, serve an audience of one. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Um, God knows the truth, and, and uh, he knows the truth better than I do. So I don't, I don't have to be the uh, holder of all truth, because I can go to him, and he is a holder of all truth. And I can rest in him, because he will communicate to me if I'm not doing what he wants me to do. And he will communicate with me if I am doing what he wants me to do. And, it, and it's the same for you. You have an audience of one. And it is God most high. And he has provided salvation that lasts for eternity. When I, when I was uh, visiting with that uh, couple that one of them is in hospice uh, yesterday, I, I tried to share with the spouse that's healthy that, that they have... Christian faith. You know, they've lived their life, 58 years of marriage, they've lived their lives as, as people who believe, who weekly attend church, who give, who serve, and, and, and I tried to instill in the spouse that, that is so scared because the, their spouse is declining so quickly that, that um, there is suffering and death that we all have to face but God has taken care of it eternally. And I tried to leave them with that eternal hope and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There could be circumstances in life, not only when, when someone is declining and, and is facing death soon, uh, just in everyday living, in the dynamics of relationships and people that treat us well and people that don't treat us well. All that stuff's always going to be there, but God's got to take care of it. Not just for this life, but for eternity. God has it taken care of. And so we can live to, in an audience of one. It's good to be well thought of. It's good to get along with people. The scripture says as far as possible, be at peace with every person. As far as possible with you, be at peace with every person. That's great. That's, a, that's an honorable goal. But... Whether or not you ultimately get their approval, I hope that's not your driving need that defines who you are and what you work for. Have an audience of one and let it be your heavenly Father by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, you are so good. We pray to you, we sing to you, we consider your holy word. May you be on the throne of our heart. 
in you and you alone be the one that we seek. May you alone ultimately be our audience. There's no rival and there's no equal. God, you reign. So let us live this life to serve you and to please you. And know that all these other things are going to fall into place the way that you have ordered. Because you have no rival and you have no equal. We praise your name. We give you glory. We serve you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you.